Hey everyone, welcome to the latest episode of the First Word Podcast. I'm here as usual. Um, my name is Alex and I'm with my co-host Mike. And we are doing an Oscar recap today um, because uh, it's Monday, the day after the Oscar night, uh, which was very late in the season this year on March 4th. So we're doing a special Oscar recap today and we have um, one of my favorite uh, film writers, film journalists, film lovers on the entire planet um, as our guest, Sasha Stone. Welcome, Sasha. Oh, welcome! Thank you for having me. So of course. Well, you're the, you're like the one of the definitive Oscar. Uh, I don't I don't like this word, but maybe it's okay. Pundits. But um, <laughs> one of my questions to start actually is that you've been doing this what 14 years now, right? Oh no, more like 20. Wow. Okay. Well. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. So you've been doing this for 20 years, and um, my my first question to just sort of get into the Oscars is that uh, one of the things that when I was following your coverage for many years is that you would always track the statistics between who would win the um, various guild awards, the Director's Guild, the Screen Actors Guild, the Producers Guild, and also the various, you know, BAFTA awards and things like that. And there used to be this pattern you could see between this would win here, 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 and then it would end up winning. And there were even patterns within the Oscars where it's like, hey, if someone wins Best Director, they usually win Best Picture. But in the last few years, this seems to have all fallen apart. And the statistics don't seem to prove or direct anything anymore. And I don't know if that's just because it's the last few years with the films, or is it just sort of a change with the time? Is it just sort of how things have adjusted and now anything can win and anything at the guilds can be the guild's choice and, and no longer reflect what the Oscars will be? What, what do you think is happening? Why do you think this change is going on? Um, I know it's so true, isn't it? It's, it's really the last... It's since, really since Argo. I, I feel like Argo kind of broke the system because uh, Ben Affleck wasn't nominated for a director nomination and, and Argo still swept the whole season and won anyway, even though he didn't win director. Something became un, un, unhooked in that, in that year because after that it became really easy for picture and director to separate, you know, and not be... But, but there's also a lot of weird stuff going on with dates everything happens so fast. And if, if everything's happening fast, people tend to vote kind of in line. Uh, not always, but, but lately it feels like, like for instance, this year, the producers guild and the screen actors guild announced their winners before the Oscar nominations were even announced. Mm. So there was no real way for that to influence, um, you know, for the Oscar nominations to influence any of the winners that they all kind of happened separate from each other because of the way, the Olympics pushed the Oscars back one week. Shape of Water winning blew out every stat that I've come to count on to to decide what wins Best Picture. It blew every it blew everything up. So we really are in an era now where there are no statistics you can use, and it's kind of like the old way of doing the Oscars when I first started, which was you just sat down, you looked at the movies, and you said, "I think this is going to win." You know what I mean? So <laughs> that's undone all the work I've been doing for the last twenty years. Yeah. Well, it's funny because that's what I would love to do is just sit down and watch a movie and say, hey, this is good enough to win. But it, it's funny that yeah. that wasn't the case for lo so long. I always felt weird also kind of reading your coverage when it would be like, oh, hey, because this has won this other stuff, it's going to win. And I'm like, well, why isn't there a chance for more flexibility? Yeah, I agree with that. I remember one time a long time ago when it was A Beautiful Mind versus Fellowship of the Ring. And everybody out in the world would say, oh, Fellowship of the Ring is going to win. That's going to win Best Picture, right? 
then I would have to sit down with them and then go, no, it's not. This is why it's not going to win. First of all, Ron Howard is due. You know, Hollywood's going to give him that award. He's won the DGA. And Fellowship of the Ring is fantasy, right? Now Guillermo del Toro just blew out that whole thing. And so did Peter Jackson when Return of the King won. That was fantasy, and now fantasy won again, if you call it, if you call Shape of Water fantasy. I don't know if you do, but, or horror. Um, but people would say to me, like, Avatar is going to win Best Picture, right? And I would say, no, no, Hurt Locker is going to win because of this and this. And they're like, Hurt Locker? Oh, I have to go out and see that. You know, like, they would never saw the movie. Everything was so tightly controlled and insular within the Oscar world. Now it feels like, I mean, yes, Guillermo del Toro won director and picture, but it also feels like you could have had a race where it didn't, where Get Out won, you know, and Guillermo del Toro won director, you know? I was really expecting that, honestly. That was, I mean, to get into the awards, that was actually one thing I was expecting last night was to see, I mean, I I had read enough to to know that Guillermo was going to win Best Director. He'd won every other Best Director award. But I thought, hey, Get Out's going to sneak up and get Best Picture. And that actually would be fine, because if Guillermo gets Best Director, then Shape of Water still gets one of the top awards anyway. Yeah. I thought so too. And I, I really, my stats were telling me that three billboards was going to win because it won an right. unprecedented amount of awards. So I predicted that thinking to myself, I really don't think this is going to win. It doesn't feel like you don't have the energy around it. Get out feels like the winner to me. You know, like I didn't think shape of water was the winner because I thought it was too weird and too divisive and people just weren't going to go for it. But um, when I sat down in the Academy last night inside that room, it, you could tell like, for instance, when it was La La Land and Moonlight, you could tell immediately that there was no energy for La La Land and there was a whole bunch of energy for Moonlight. They just weren't applauding when La La Land was announced. You could feel it. And last night you could feel it with three billboards. Anytime it was announced, it was a very muted reception where a shape of water, everybody exploded with cheers every time anybody said the name of the movie. So I was going on this night going, if this was the old days and I didn't run an Oscar site, I would be saying, oh, of course shape of water is going to win because you could just hear them excited about it, you know? And that, bring, that brings me to a question I wanted to ask you, which is, um, you know, since you were in the room where it happened, I've always been curious about the applause um, from my side of things on the other side of the television. You know, you, you hear it sometimes through the, the clips. And, and I always wonder, you know, are those the, the, the groups of people who come just because they're supporting that film or part of that film? Or is there, do you think they're, they're clapping in a, as a sort of vocal way of representing what they voted for? I think that, yeah, that's a lot of it with Shape of Water for sure. But one of the cute, funny things about going is that you hear the filmmakers of various films applauding when that or like the crew of you can tell when you're in an area where you you are sitting with a certain group of people that represents a certain movie because they do explode. And so every time like a short is announced, you hear like a little pocket of applause in one part of the theater, <laughs> another and then a little pocket of applause and they're cheering. And and when um Heaven is the traffic jam on the 405 one. Um, I was the only person in my entire section that cheered and they, everybody just looked at me like, what is she doing? Like, how does she even know what this movie is? But it happened to be my favorite movie of the five, you know? So I was really surprised that it won. And, you know, I had to sort of give a comment to people like, well, it's a really good movie because they're all staring at me. Like, why is this one? Because you're used to these little pockets cheering, but, you you know, most people don't cheer for the shorts because they don't know what they are, you know? But in general, people applaud they applaud feel goodism. So anytime Greta Gerwig's name is mentioned, everybody would applaud. And and if you know um, um, Rita Moreno comes out on stage, everybody applauds. You know, and there is the regular audience aspect of it. Like it does feel like a show in a lot of ways because there's there's singing and there's you know, 
Um, so it is like a real audience in a lot of ways, but they also tell you, you know, camera, you know, cause it's a TV show. So they say when the camera's coming on and they tell us to applaud when the oh, camera's okay. And that's always been my sort of other questions since I've got someone who was there to ask, uh, you know, especially with award shows, there's a lot of times where you can sort of faintly hear the audience just talking. Now, I feel like the Academy is a little different because it's set up as a, you know, with a stage and with stadium seating. It's not like a dinner awards show. You know, I, I'm, I've, I've always been curious, is is there an element where people are just talking while the presenters are up there talking and, and everyone in the audience is like, I don't know what they're saying, but uh, it's really for the audience at home and and there's a divide between what's going on there and what's going on for the people watching on TV. Yeah, no, they're really, really rigid about that. Like they have a lobby. Every floor has a lobby where the bars are and where the people hang out. And if you go out there during a commercial break, you have to stay out there until the next commercial break. But a lot of people just spend their whole night out there in the lobbies having <laughs> fun chatting and you know especially the big that's why they have those seat fillers when the camera's on they want like Meryl Streep in the front row you know they want the stars there but a lot of the people who aren't necessarily that or can be hanging out in the lobby when it's not their time they're just not interested in the awards and so when I went out into the lobby this time um and I didn't get let back in I was standing there and I was like one of only two people watching the, the tv to see what was winning it was Dunkirk winning the sound awards and so we just started talking about it because that person happened to be interested in the Oscars. But most people that were there were not, they could care less about what won, you know, <laughs> unless it's their movie. Like there so few people are actually interested in the Oscars from a pre predicting perspective, you know. Well, I'm sure you it's don't get sad. you don't. But at the same time, I get it because you don't really get to be in the room with every person you might actually want to talk to at right, once. Right, right. But but inside the theater, it's it's hush quiet. Like you can't even talk. It's like being in a movie theater. The, the people will shush you if you even see if you talk in your seat. I guess you know what you know what uh, I want to go back to one other thing before we get into the actual awards, which is something you said about um, telling the people around you you should see this movie. It's really good. And obviously, when it comes to short subject films, most people have no idea how to even find them, even though they're starting to get better about getting them on iTunes and getting them places where, you know, people can actually see them if they're curious. But, you know, I, I sort of mentioned this last night on, on Twitter, and I, it made me want to talk about it today, you know, what the Oscars is really about. Because mm. like you said, it has changed a lot. Um, over the years and and what it represents and I, I really feel like you know from my perspective um, you know the Oscars is a great opportunity for people for for movies to be awarded the, the grand prize so to speak you know in many ways it is the top dog of awards and we all know that and that's probably never going to change but it, it it never to me has felt like the objective analysis of a, of the quality of a movie it's not it's it pe people interpret the oscars as the ultimate um announcement that this is the best movie that was made yeah. in the last year and i think that's a really false interpretation of what the oscars is about because i actually think it's done a much better job of giving a sense of the movies that they probably didn't catch being worthy of their attention the nominees are more important than who wins in my opinion, because when you see nine, and this is why I like the fact that there's more than five Best Picture nominees, when you see nine nominated films for Best Picture, the conversations you start to have with other people are, should I see that movie? And, and it, as opposed to them waiting to only see what one Best Picture, which of course the reaction is, I should probably see that movie. 
And and, and there aren't most movies that win Best Picture or even are nominated are not ones that got, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars invested in um, in audience engagement. And, and, you know, there's a divide there that's argue, arguable, whether or not those are good movies or aren't. Or, but when you look at a Moonlight or you look at a Shape of Water, I mean, Shape of Water had some weight behind it in terms of audience engagement. But most people probably have no idea what it's about. But everybody is aware of the Oscars. My, my point is that I, I think it's awesome that the Oscars give a national discussion about movies every year. So, you know, what do you guys think about the fact that the Oscars are not the pinnacle award, but actually the pinnacle advertisement. Oh, it's such a brilliant way to put it. Pinnacle advertising. That's so true. That's so true. Well, I mean, Alex might have a different idea, but you know, when I first started was Gladiator was my first year covering the Oscars. Gladiator versus uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon versus Traffic. It was a great year for movies. Back then, you know, because the Oscars were held in March, that was so late, like late March, not just early March, but like the Oscars would just be starting to rev up right now in, in when I first started covering these awards. And so what you had was you had a lot of December releases being the Oscar movies. It was sort of the similar model to now where everything is rushed, but now it's been pushed back to like Telluride time to film festival time. That's, that's when the movies that win tend to be released and seen as that time. But most of Oscar history the public had a say in what movies were considered the best of the year because at the end of the year they would look at the box office and they would look at the success of all the movies they still had their prestige movies you know everybody knew when december came around because like shakespeare and love or whatever would come out um and uh but then the academy would then factor in all of those things the critics didn't have much to do with it they had a little bit to do with it a small part of it but it was really the public, like Gladiator won Best Picture because it was a public phenomenon, because it was a movie that the public loved, as well as, you know, everybody else in the industry. But but that was important to them. We need to make movies for audiences. Now, because the Oscars around 2003 pushed back their date a month to take advantage of February sweeps. So the that effectively erased the audience from being important in the Oscar race. It isn't. All the Oscars are decided with people way before they ever reach audiences. So what happens now is you have movies like Lady Bird, you have Shape of Water, you have Darkest Hour, you have these movies that are that are nurtured by really good publicists and bloggers like us who hype the movies then they're released. I mean, they didn't get their award nominations. Then they make their money with the public. So like Lady Bird is up there at almost 50 million and never would have made that kind of money without the awards race. You know, there's no way. Um, and so the Oscar industry is advertising for those kinds of movies that they think Oscar voters will like, but the public really doesn't have a say. And that every so often you get movies like Dunkirk and Get Out that managed to get in. That's the old way of doing the Oscars, is movies open to the public, the public loves them, the critics praise them, the Academy awards them. Now it's more like, find the movies that they think the Academy's gonna like and reward, push those movies into the awards race, then deliver them to the public with a sticker of awards prestige on it and make money that way. But keep keep alive this idea that 
Hollywood is still about nuts and bolts filmmaking. It's still about dramas and serious gravitas. And it's not about superhero movies. And it's not about Black Panther. And it's not about Wonder Woman. It's not about Star Wars. It's not about all the ways Hollywood is really changing and the kind of people that pay hard-earned money to go see the movies. It's not about that. It's still about this little world that the Academy wants it to be, the drama, you know? So that, that's how the Oscars have really changed in a really significant way, I think. And I, I would love it if it, it could go back to at least being partly part of the public, you know, where a movie would be a hit and then it would be an Oscar contender. But isn't Get Out kind of an example of that? Like Get Out was a big enough hit. It was released in what, like April or March of last year. So it had that kind of public support behind it. But in general, I, I see your point about like, it's so, you know, the, the the funny thing that I just thought of when you said that is if more of these publicly loved movies became hits, film Twitter critics would just lose their shit over it because they'd be like, <laughs> why is Star Wars nominated? Star Wars is like, that's <laughs> that so true. I, I hate that argument nowadays with the, the film Twitter people who, of course, they're they're true cinephiles and I and I appreciate them, but just the way they get so incensed when something that isn't this like pure critic beautiful piece of art isn't the Oscar nominee, but it's that's to Mike's point, which is to say that like, hey, sure we should bring attention to a few of these, but also let's remind people that filmmaking isn't just all the small, but all the big and everything together. Yeah, I think it's I don't know, it's interesting. Oh, that's I mean, that's so true. Like the, the fact is, is when I first started Moat, the question I asked myself was, the reason I started my site was, why did Citizen Kane not win Best Picture? That was the question I wanted to know. Why is it that it's considered the greatest film of all time, yet it lost to How Green Was My Valley, um, John Ford's fine, wonderful movie? And I, I, uh, I know why now. Uh, I didn't at the beginning, but but it, over time, as I watched this race, I, film critic groups got more and more powerful, got more and more popular. Now Rotten Tomatoes is incredibly pop, um, powerful in terms of helping to uh, down or you know raise a movie, and, and um, it can really do some serious harm if the reviews are bad. It just won't make any money. But it's the same with the awards race. Like when I first started, the critics were mostly separate. There were two separate. You know, this is what the critics like. This is what the public and the Academy likes. But over time, they have merged, and now the film critics have a really important role in deciding what films get into the Oscar race, and the public have kind of decided that it's not for them. I, I've always found, per, per Mike's point, I've found it fascinating because I'm in the industry. I know it. I see films. And I actually, I was just writing about it, so this made me think that I love the indie spirits because the indie spirits always bring more attention to these really small films that no one has oh, heard yeah. about. Like The Rider. Um, oh, yeah. I love The Rider. Um mm -hmm. And it, it, it's an interesting thing because I don't know that feeling of not being aware of these movies. I can't put, I can't even put myself there because <laughs> even if I haven't seen them, I know of them and I'm desperate to see them. But I, I do hope that to what Mike is saying that I hope people do see them. I hope it brings that attention to them. And I think it does. Um, and, well, well, and, and I want to, I, I want to touch on that because, you know, um, you, you, I'm not quite as in the industry full time as you guys might be where, you know, you're surrounded by, um, people who are just as informed and aware. I mean, I'm sure you both have friends outside of work, but you know, I mean, I'm not professionally monitoring the system or the, the situation all year. I am a filmmaker and, and, um, you know, so my friends are all passionate about films too, but without having the sort of responsibility to write about and to interview the, the filmmakers and to be part of the conversation at all times, there's a, there's a perspective 
that um, I've been able to get with family and friends where it's like um, I'm, I'm responsible in the same way you guys are for the nation. You know, I'm responsible for my little community of people to tell them what's good and what isn't. And I think that's yeah. always a really weird responsibility to have because movies are such a subjective experience. And that's why, you know, the Oscars are so interesting because it feels like an objective announcement of the quality of movies. And it's not. Um, and, and in fact, if you watch the other awards shows, not only are they typically more entertaining because they know they're not, they don't have the responsibility that the, that the Oscars does, um, but they, they also give you a better consensus of what the industry as a whole feels is good quality. And that goes into the whole argument of whether or not the Academy is out of touch or not. And I don't know if I buy into that, that, that idea. I think it's obvious that the Academy is a very specific perspective on film. And it, and it has it, there is a collective responsibility that, it's, that it seems to hold on um, making sure that cinema stays cinema and we don't become just movies. And I, I, I look at you know, the best picture nominees this year and I think about how, how actually well represented the full gamut of movies and cinema and film is, is in this collection of nominees. I mean, we all, I don't know if we all, but I know Alex and I agree the three billboards was not the right movie to win. It would have actually sent a very awkward message about movies. But you know, when I watched Shape of Water, it felt like a best picture winner to me while I also didn't love the movie. Like that movie was so weird, but also so um, catering to what cinema is all about from start to finish that it really, it, it surprised me and didn't surprise me that it won. But then you've got movies that Phantom Thread, which is such an Oscar-y type movie while also being super weird. And then you have the classics like, you know, The Post is, sure, it's Steven Spielberg, but if you watch that movie, you're like, oh, okay. So that's just going to get nominated for Best Picture, obviously. And I think that this year, was I was really happy about the nominees this year for all categories because it allowed me to feel like the Oscars was not out of touch. Because if you just look at it from a, you know, a skin color or a, an ethnicity perspective, there's been lots of controversy. And this year, representation was almost across the board, and that's great. But I don't think that that's what the Oscars should ever be about. It should be about showing the whole wide spectrum of movies that get made. And it did that. Big movies, small movies, movies that have very intimate production value, movies that have big production value. And I think that's what's really exciting about this year because I can honestly tell anybody every movie that was nominated for Best Picture is worth your time. And and you'll get a different experience with each one. Yeah, I've been telling people that too. And I get that same thing. Like people say to me, oh, Phantom Thread's getting all these great reviews. Should I? Well, I love Phantom Thread. And I'm just like, you know, I can't answer that. I have no idea. It's such a weird movie. But, you know, some people are going to love it and some people are going to be really mad at me for recommending it. You know, there are only a few movies that... I used to think that the, the movies that you can recommend to anybody, that's the one that's going to win because the Academy is such a consensus. You know, you're talking about 6,000 people agreeing on a movie. It's got to be a movie that, like, anybody can sit down in front of and get and like. And so I was surprised at Shape of Water won because, like, your reaction to it. Like, I, I talked to a lot of people who felt that same way, who had that same reaction. So I thought there's no way it's going to win because it's too divisive. Like if people, you know, some people love it, some people don't get it, you know? So, it, or not don't get it, but don't respond to it. Like they just say, what am I missing? Men and women, not just men, you know? 
And I mean, a lot of people will look at one thing about every movie, be like, "Oh, that's the fish fucker movie," and it's like, yeah, it, it's really not. Um, that's an that's an easy <laughs> well, way. But it really is. It, but <laughs> uh, but you know, I mean, it's it's an easy joke, and um, what amazes me is that the Academy looked past that because I think there is a personal responsibility, like I said, that goes with the best picture winner. And the Academy is is giving it the crown of this is the movie we think you should see. It also I think sometimes they think they're saying this is the the achievement of the year, but I think really they they know now that in my opinion, the voters know that the winning ticket is the one that they have to defend saying you should see this movie and honestly i I just kind of it bothers me when um i see those and this is maybe we can wind down the discussion about the oscars in general here but I, i do think it's worth bringing up the whole brutally honest oscar voter thing i think it's extremely unfair to everybody who reads it and and i think it's the worst thing that's come out of the internet ever with regards to the oscars i hate it I mute all words associated with it on my Twitter timeline. You know, I used to get a kick out of reading it. I thought it was kind of a funny, albeit mean, approach to just like how an Oscar voter might think. And I never really took it all that seriously because they just probably find somebody who's outspoken and curmudgeon and hates everything just so they can get cool pull quotes. But the reality is it's kind of a, it's a, it shits on the whole parade of the Oscars and what makes the Oscars great. And it, and it perpetuates the idea that the Oscars is full of people who are out of touch. I mean, there are always going to be people who are out of touch who watch movies. I think it's unfair to, to think that all Oscar voters are like that. There are always going to be a few bad apples out of 6,000 people. And it's really easy for those in the media to track down those people and make a spectacle of it. But I, I actually feel like the Academy is full of people who make movies, who love movies, who want to see movies get the the due they deserve and and when you have six thousand votes that consensus is probably going to be the same kind of consensus you always have no matter how what percentage of women young people minorities are represented in the academy that's so true like a consensus a friend of mine once said that like when you're talking about a consensus vote you can't really ever get like the the citizen canes or whatever like you can't get movies like that to win because they have to sort of appeal broadly but I agree with you about the um, Oscar ballots. I actually know some Academy members, and I, I, what I think about those is that there are people who these Academy members believe themselves to be right, and they want to get the truth out there. They want to be able to speak about, for instance, Get Out and say something negative about it because they're so annoyed, and I know that that's how they feel, really. And they like to go on the record anonymously, even if it makes everybody upset about it you know there's a trolling aspect to it i think that that appeals to them you know like they just like to say what everybody's thinking but nobody's saying and in some cases um but strangely enough they they do sort of help predict the the race because uh scott feinberg's anyway from hollywood reporter they always end up i don't know if he does this deliberately but they always end up somehow to show what movie's going to win, like just by how they talk about it. You can tell that there's always one movie that keeps turning up, and this year it was Shape of Water. And I just kept hearing those signs, but I just kept saying, no, it can't win, it can't possibly win. And um, But uh, but I agree with you that I don't think they're out of touch, and I think they are, are under too much pressure, because the thing is always so easy to call the Academy out of touch but and, and you know, sexist and racist, but they, nobody ever really wants to look at the, indus, the larger industry and the fact that they're the ones that pick these films before 
as they're coming down the pike. You know what I mean? They were decided way before they get to the Oscars. When the Producers Guild, Directors Guild, Screen Actors Guild, Film Critics, everybody's doing the same filtering through, you know, and every so often one movie will miss and everybody will freak out and it'll, you know, it'll be one of those moments where things start to change. But for the most part, you know, people blame the Academy for, for industry-wide problems, I would say. So true. I mean, ultimately, and, and Alex, I'd love to get your opinion too, but, you know, ultimately um, that is the best point that could be made about it. This is an industry problem. It's not a voting problem. I mean, we, we want to see good movies by anybody. And, you know, I mean, it's a difficult conversation to have. But the reality is that there are some super, super talented people behind the camera um, from all ethnicities and, and all backgrounds. And the fact that they're not represented in the awards is not, in my opinion, a sign that the awards are not acknowledging them. It's a sign that there are not enough movies being made by those people. I mean, when you exactly. look at, yeah, 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 I mean, when you look at Mudbound, which is an amazingly powerful movie, and I'm still surprised that Mudbound didn't get nominated for Best Picture. But I certainly don't think that the reason it didn't get nominated is because the Academy as a whole said, oh, we already have a black movie and get out. Like, that's not how it works. It can't, it's, there's no way for the math to shape out that way where enough people feel that way. For Mudbound, it was a miracle that it got any nominations because, you know, they really have a thing against Netflix. And so that showed that they were that they even got as many nominations as it got, that they were that the Netflix store was being opened just a little bit, you know, and because they, the other Netflix movies like uh, Beast of No Nation completely shut out. Idris Elba didn't even get a nomination, you know, because um, of the Netflix thing. And that's what people, most people think of. But what I just want to say to that is that the problem is, is that awards offer opportunity and opportunity offers better chances to make better movies that can make awards. So it's harder for minorities to break through but at the same time, like if you give an award to someone just because that isn't good for them either, you know, that makes people think, oh, they only won the award because they were a woman or because they were black. And then that ends up hurting them in the long run because people don't value that win and they don't think it was deserved. You know what I mean? So then you have to prove yourself twice over. Like Marissa Tomei, for instance, when she won for supporting actress and everybody said she didn't deserve it. She spent her whole career trying to defend that that win you know and so you never really want to have a win that you people don't think you deserved you know in another way part of the problem is that for such a long time minorities were represented on film simply as the thing or or the right. cliche right you know whether it's you know muslim americans as terrorists or um african americans as slaves and 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 what we're seeing now i think this year represented it really well is that when you put minorities or, or women behind um, the camera or on the page, you find out that there are so many more characters to explore. Lady Bird represents that. Get Out represents that. I mean, Call Me By Your Name represents that. The, the cliches are kind of getting bucked. And I think that's great because there is a lot of storytelling out there in a world where people think is getting stale simply because when Hollywood spends $200 million to, to pump out a, a sequel, that doesn't mean that Hollywood is out of ideas. It just means that they're spending their money in the wrong place. But the more that we, we honor movies that are representing stories we haven't yet seen, like I think did happen this year, the more we're going to get those kinds of movies. Because I think that's what ultimately the Oscars does is 
it gives producers a sort of signal boost to say, maybe I should help them make that movie. And that's Jordan Peele winning best screenplay is the best is the best thing that happened last night. Oh, yeah. I was so happy about that. I was really hoping Get Out would win. That was I mean, it, you know, it was not my number one, but it was such a good movie. And, and when you look at this year, you think 2018, what was the movie of the year? I mean, it really does feel like Get Out was the movie of the year. You know what I mean? Um, no, no. I love Shape of Water, too. I'm not saying it didn't deserve it. I'm just saying that, like, I would kind of wish in a way that that the fact that it only had four nominations could have been overcome, you know, and people would have said, because I think everybody would have walked away from the Oscars feeling really happy about that. But let me ask you something, going back to something you said earlier that I didn't really talk about with you, which is the shorts. Um, you said that people aren't able to see them. And I think that they're like the almost the sometimes the best that the Oscars have to offer, but people don't see them. Do you think people just don't want to sit down and watch like a 40 minute movie that they, they really either want something really short, like five minutes or they want like a regular length movie. I wonder why it is that you can't get people to watch them. You well, know? well I, I do think it's funny because, you know, when you think shorts, you think something under 10 minutes and the reality is most of them are over 10 minutes. And that always surprises even me. I mean, I got my started my filmmaking career doing shorts as most people do. And now I'm doing fe documentary features so my interest has changed, but I, I still love the shorts and I watch them every year. And the, the, the thing that I want to promote the most is always a short film. And it's usually not the Pixar one. But I actually think this is great that you mentioned it because Mark Harris um, on Twitter just posted something that I saw and, and, and saved for later. The trend for Oscar shorts is growing theatrically. Um, Ten years ago, they started showing them, and they made about $200,000. This year, mm. the shorts made $3.3 .3 million in theaters, and they're still going. That's but amazing. I, I was going to just comment on the on the theatrical showings of the shorts. I always thought that was a great idea. I thought that was a good way to, to, to promote them, because you know, half the time, at least before that happened, it was always like, well, how do I even see them? Where do you even go to get them? I just wish... And I know this won't happen because of legalities and the business of the industry that they would do theatrical and put them online. Because we posted Heaven is a Traffic Jam on the 405 on our site. And a lot of people watched it and loved it that way because it was, uh, I think New Yorker had an online exclusive. Um, mm. And I always wish, like, of course, I know they want to make money and show it theatrically. And of course, we want to see it that way. But half of my frustration is, like, I wish I could just watch all 15 of the shorts online for free right now without having to go through a process and i know itunes also does a way where you can rent them but that just to me was like like what's the great loss there sure a little bit of money but also isn't it more important that people just get to see these especially with this conversation we're having right now it's like people aren't even watching them let's just make them as available as possible to as many people as possible the short animations tend to be much easier to track down because they're probably shorter in general anyway. Like I remember Paper Man was a movie I could tell everybody to watch and then they could get it and then they watched it and they loved it. That was a couple of years ago. And and like this year, the live action shorts are the ones I really want to see. And and the documentary shorts like Edith and, e and Eddie is, is actually doing really well in terms of audience awareness. But th th these movies, like you have to be tuned in to to hear about them. Well, and the other thing is, is that a lot of people don't know this, but when the Oscars release their short list before they release their nomination, or it's like a short list, it's like maybe, I don't know, 10 or whatever that are that are whittled down out of the big pile. Um, and then out of those, they'd pick five. 
um, a lot of times I've watched those, all of them, and they are so good. This year, the animated films, the best ones, weren't even nominated. There's one called The Fox and the Whale, which is one of the most beautiful yeah. short films. Do you know that film, Alex? Yeah, we, well, this is an example of one we did post online when it came out last year. Oh, The Fox and the Whale? Yeah. Oh, it was so good. It was so beautiful. And that yeah. didn't get nominated, and that was my favorite one of all of them. And so sometimes I, I mean, it's great that you guys posted them, but sometimes they just show up there and then they disappear and no one even knows about them, that they ever even happened. You know, no one can even see them. A lot of the live action shorts that didn't get nominated were really good too, you know? Well, that's always, always my thing with shorts is, is this battle between how do you get them online to people? And, and I always, for me, at least from my policy on my website, the short has to be available for free online, usually on Vimeo or YouTube, and then I'll post it. I don't like waiting for festivals. I don't, and I know that's the process, but it's just like, I just want as many people as possible to see it. And this always is the trick is just put it online for free, deal with other rights and sales later, but just get people to see it. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know if you guys are aware there is a television station called Shorts TV. And I mean, it, you know, it, it it's, it, they're always and only playing short films. I don't know if it's just direct TV, but like it's great. I watch that channel all the time, and um, they're they're the people who actually put the money behind getting the shorts on iTunes. So you know they're they're representing that world, but at the same time, it's like I think if people are going to watch short films, it's going to happen on their computers at their office, and if it could be more um, accessible to them, they'd be more likely to do it. And um, you know, I, I maybe this is a good way to get into the categories too, because for example, you know, I went to the John Williams. Um, I live in Chicago, but I, I had to do this. I, last year, I went to L.A. see the John Williams live in concert because you never know when it'll be the last time he does it, and he does it every year. And, and it was awesome. And they surprised everybody with a live showing of Dear Basketball. Kobe Bryant showed up. He did his reading, his voiceover live. John Williams composed, conducted live. I think everybody knew this is probably going to win best animated short or at least every everybody in the audience who knew there was a category called animated short but i i think you know i i'd be really really curious to ask other filmmakers who did shorts especially the nominees how they feel about this because it's almost unfair to get john williams to score a kobe bryant narrated of course that's going to win best animated short how could anything compete with that so and i didn't even predict it because i thought i saw the short i didn't know it was john williams doing the music and then when i saw it win and, and they're like score by john williams i was like i slapped my forehead oh <laughs> <laughs> i was like there's no way it's gonna lose i mean kobe and john williams come on there's just zero chance but, is that oh. is that really why it won? Because I saw a lot of people complaining about it on Twitter, like saying it was a bad, bad, bad film. And I haven't just, seen it, but I guess both of you guys have. So I mean, it's fine, but it's compared to Garden Party, which is such a great animated short. It's so amazing. The animation's incredible. The story's funny. It's just, it should have won. I mean, it deserved it. But uh, but Kobe's was just, you know, Dear Basketball, short animation, his poem, and John Williams' music, but, like, all prestige, all celebrity, you know. I mean, it was fine. It wasn't the best short by any means, but, you know, there's no way it was going to lose. Yeah, I mean, if you watch, if you watch Dear Basketball and that's the only short you see, you, you, you would be fine with it winning. 
But I think if you watch the other ones, there's so much more artistry involved in the other ones. But Dear Basketball is, I mean, it's like the shape of water of animated shorts. You can feel the heartbeat of the people who made it because it's such a personal movie. I don't think the Academy or anybody has seen an animated short where they actually know who made it. Like that, that I think carries it to another level. If you knew, when you know the kind of person who made the movie you watched, it changes the way you watch it. Absolutely. That's such a good point. So true. I'm so impressed with them every year. The Academy, you can say a lot of bad things about them and their choices, but the shorts, they always have, probably because so many people all over the country and world are making them, you know? And so they have a huge selection to, to pick from and they pick just, I mean, they're just so good, all of them, you know? Um, really powerful stuff. I'm always amazed by the by the shorts. Can you tell us what Heaven is a Traffic Jam on the 405 was about? Because I, I I didn't realize it was going to be an art about art, and it appeared to be. It's about an artist. It's like about a woman. Oh, it's so good. It was my favorite. I was so glad it won. I didn't think it would because everybody was predicting heroin to win, and that was a really good one too. Um, they were all good. Traffic Stop is incredible. Um, the... Edith and Eddie is very moving and powerful, but Heaven is a Traffic Jam on the 405 is about this woman named Mindy Alper, who's, uh, um, who is really seriously, seriously mentally ill to the point where she has to take like 50 pills a day just to keep herself alive and functioning for her anxiety, for her depression, for her this, for her that. And it just shows how she used art to express her life early on. And, and she's so fucking talented. Like, the, the miracle of that movie is her work. You look at it and you see this person's barely held up by pharmaceuticals and she's a mess and she's unhealthy and she's, she's trying to talk and she can barely talk because the medication is so intense on her. She's the kindest, sweetest woman and her work is just breathtaking. And when it finally all comes out at the end, you're just like, wow, you know? But even the stuff she did when she was a kid and stuff, she's just a genius I and mean, she's an amazing, artist who cannot function who can barely function in life um it's it's really good it's it's so moving it stayed with me uh long after i saw it and i predicted it because it was my favorite but i didn't think it would win so when i heard it i just shouted out <laughs> much to the humiliation my personal humiliation at the oscars <laughs> but the live action shorts the other one that i think two two movies now i really want to see i knew i wanted to see decalb elementary just because of the nature of the topic and, and the, the trailer. If you watch the trailer, uh, it hooked me. And it's so simple. And then The Silent Child, having that, that speech made me want to watch the movie. Yeah, um, I would highly recommend you guys, if you haven't seen The 11 O'Clock, to see that. That is like um, um, invigorating filmmaking. Whoever made that movie, that director, is going to go places. Um, you should watch it. It's really entertaining and really funny. Um, the guy walks in and he's like, I have a psychiatrist appointment at, um, at 11 o'clock. And uh, he walks in and he's like, oh, uh, you're the psychiatrist? I'm the psychiatrist. No, you're the patient. I'm the psychiatrist. <laughs> they do this back and forth thing. Oh. It's really funny. And like, it's just very cleverly made and directed and edited. And I thought that might win. But The Silent Child is so powerful. Um, actually, when I came to the Oscars last night, I walked into the bathroom and the, the girl from the movie was in there. She was signing to her mom, and um, and I said to them, oh, your movie is so beautiful, thank you. And they looked at me for a minute, and then they signed it to each other. 
to interpret what I said. It was so cute. And so I was really glad that it won. Um, it's great. And they're all great, you know. This makes me want to say one last thing on the shorts is that basically the shorts are almost the the most important category for showing us the future of filmmaking. And that a lot of these filmmakers go on to make Oscar-nominated features in time. And I've always noticed that, like, someone 10 years later, I'm writing about them, and I'm like, oh, man, they had an Oscar-winning short, like, 10 years ago? That's, that's, yeah. That seems always the case. There's always, like, it's like you said, Sasha, that the, somehow the Academy chooses the best of the best, but they also end up choosing these, these really amazing filmmakers. And now I'm going to watch the 11 o'clock. Actually, I want to watch all of them, but now I'm really going to watch the 11 o'clock based on that, what you just told me. And that's the kind of thing that I love about these but I guess it's a hard category to convince people that it's still the discovery category, I think, more than the bigger winners. Yeah, people used to joke about the shorts when I was coming up and starting covering the Oscars. Everybody, even I joked about them, and everybody just dismissed them, and nobody watched them. And it was considered, you know, just the average response was, oh, God, the shorts. You know, nobody wants to watch the shorts. And it was always the category. There was even talk about having them take it off the broadcast and put it on the um the science and technical awards or the governor's awards or just to get it on cast. I know I was so mad. I got so mad when I heard that. I was like, are you kidding me? Um, that if it, if nothing else, like that represents like you guys are both saying pure filmmaking, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. I think we, we talked a lot about, um, things that people don't really seem to know much about, which I think is really great and what I wanted to do today, but it would be, I, we should probably talk about some of the more high profile ones. Cause I'd like to hear what you guys have to say. And I know documentary feature and foreign language films are, are the sort of bottom of that category in terms of public awareness, but I, but we, we shouldn't skip over them either. Cause both of them are really interesting discussions and myself being a huge documentary nut I just have to say like I, I knew Icarus was going to win and I feel I feel like I was the only person in the room that thought that but I don't know I don't know why I said Icarus was to me one of the best movies of the one of the best documentaries of the year because it just it showed everything that documentaries could be that ha that 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 they rarely are which is you go in with a plan to tell an important story and then it changes so fast, and a really good documentarian has the patience and the and the the awareness to go after that story. And that story is what made Icarus so good was the was the guy and his quirkiness and how weird he was. And it didn't seem like um, Brian Fogel knew that's what was going to happen when he started the movie and what makes it so fresh and so good. Um, at the same time, I know. Alex, for you, Faces Places was one of your top 10 movies of last year, not just documentaries. So, and I, I'm curious to hear what you guys have to say about whether or not Icarus was the one that you felt would have won. Yeah, I, I'll just say really quickly, because I don't have a lot to say, you know, totally, to be honest with you guys, I, I didn't, I haven't watched Icarus or Faces Places, so it makes me a horrible human being, but I did predict. Oh, wait, but you I have to see Faces Places. I don't know. I really want to see all of them, but I, I did predict Icarus only because a friend of mine told me that how good it was and was raving about it. And I also just felt like it was the zeitgeist movie because of the Putin thing. You know, like I just felt like there was something there that was going to, but I, I didn't expect it to win. I mean, most people didn't predict it, but I, I did get that one right. That's all I wanted to say. Yeah. I mean, per your point, Mike, before I get into more of them, um, Icarus to me, like halfway through watching this film, I had this crazy realization that I'm amazed that this guy, Brian Fogel, who's the subject of the film, 
as the cyclist in it is this talented as a documentary filmmaker. Like, I think it was one of his like graphic sequences explaining something about cycling and doping. And then all of a sudden I was like, dude, this is awesome. And this guy is also a cyclist and a filmmaker and everything all in one. It was amazing. I, I found out later that he is like, he was a filmmaker as well. So this is not like he was a sports guy who got into film. It was like, he was also a filmmaker anyway. Um, but I watched Icarus at the very, like literally the world premiere at Sundance last year. No, um, not this year, but like t 2017, January. Uh, so I was there at the very first time this film ever showed to anyone. And the weird thing was that um, it was the first day of Sundance, so not a lot of other critics went to that screening because there were other things to see. And I remember coming out of it, like, raving about it. Like, this was amazing. As you said, Mike, like, the f halfway through the film becomes this whole other story, and he just happened to get this discovery and follow it along, and you're just blown away by what happens. And then obviously it's also like a whistleblowing doc where they're – they're basically like, not only is it this really gripping story, but then they're basically like trying to throw the door open on, on Russian doping and be like, look, this is happening almost in a way where it's like a journalism feature. Um, and then at Sundance, there was not this buzz about it. Like I remember thinking this and then no one else was raving about it. I mean, I'm yeah. sure a couple other people. And that was why to me, like the rest of the year, I was like, ah, it's Icarus is good. I, and then it got released on Netflix and I thought, okay, I hope people see it. I don't think they will. So that, that like, play throughout the year never really made me feel like it even had a chance. I thought like this little doc that no one even knows exists on Netflix, you know, I can't even get people to see it even if I tell them it's about Russian doping. That was what surprised me. Well, do you um, think that the Netflix thing played into that at all? Because uh, Strong Island was also nominated and that's a Netflix movie. I did watch that one. Um, so that's two Netflix movies in the doc category. I know they're really generous with their funding of doc, you know, filmmaking. And distribution, but do you think that the cinephiles and Sundance were like, it's Netflix, so I'm not going to talk about it? No, because at the time, Icarus wasn't bought by Netflix at the time it premiered oh, at Sundance. Right. Um, but it, it, what to me, the documentary category has always been funky. Like it's something about the the documentary um, division and what they choose that is always weird to me. So I was happy the Faces Places made it because that's like my happy movie. But um, the rest of the nominees this year actually were strong, and they seem the, there seems to be a political angle to it with all of them. Icarus being the Russian side of it, Strong Island being uh, a, a trans man directing, um, Last Man in Aleppo being about refugees, and Last Man in Aleppo is this beautiful, frightening movie about just how horrible it is there. Yeah. Um, and even Abacus just about the 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 financial world and and how it's also racist and. So there's just these these political angles to it, but at the same time, like all five nominees, I'm like, okay, these are all great films. They're all great documentaries. There's there, there's not one which has happened in years past where I'm like, why did this get nominated? Like it's such a weird pick. I guess that it came down to Icarus for for the filmmaking, whereas Faces Places, I'm honestly just happy it was nominated because it's not. It's like a funky film as well in that it's like. The structure's weird. It breaks the fourth wall. It's just this kind of like happy-go-lucky film. And um, the fact that he even got in there is, is a surprise to me. So I was happy then. And I, I was banking on it purely for my own reasons, but not because I thought like the, the, the Academy would have chosen it. So Icarus is, yeah. Well, I do think if Agnes Varda stepped up on stage and did a thank you speech, that movie would have made a ton of money. <laughs> but because um, <laughs> um, yeah. people just don't know her. I mean, you guys might, but, but I, you know, I was not aware of her uh, and I didn't, 
put two and two together that that t-shirt uh, that Greta Gerwig was wearing last year was her. And now I'm like, what? Who is this lady? I saw Abacus um, because um, a Chicago-based production team, Cartemquin, which everyone knows from Hoop Dreams, uh, made it. So I've, I always support them. And it turns out Abacus is just a really good, really good documentary. Just it takes a topic you think you know and real and, and puts a family to it, puts a face to the crisis, which is interesting. Um, but I, I do want to mention before we move on, uh, my favorite documentary of the year didn't even get nominated, um, although it was on the short list, which is LA 92. One of m my favorite documentaries possibly ever because it only used um, footage that was captured during the LA riots, um, news, footage on the ground, uh, police camera footage, all that kind of stuff. Um, and collects it with audio from the events and combines that with one of the best documentary movie scores you're ever going to hear for a really unique experience that I, I, I'm not surprised didn't get nominated, but like I really, I really felt like it should have. And there's other, like if, if you can, go find the shortlist for documentary, best documentary this year. Um, almost all of them I would recommend because, I mean, they were just, this was a really good year for documentary films. I, I, I lived through the, I'm, I'm one of those situations where, you know how you hear people say like, I lived through that, so I don't want to watch it. Like that was sort of my experience with LA 92. I was here during the, the riots and my hesitancy to watch it is because of that. I, you know, it was really, when you go through something like, not that, I mean, I was just a white person on the West side, so it wasn't like I was going through anything, but I did see so much of it on TV and we were all watching it. And it was, it was a really kind of a scary unpredictable time in, in our history. Uh, so I'm going to watch it, but I just have to sort of emotionally prepare myself for it. I mean, all the other shortlist docs were amazing, too. I mean, between Jane and Chasing Coral, and it was a tough year. And, and also, I'm, I'm still shocked that Jane didn't get nominated because it won the DGA, the DGA uh, Documentary Award. I mean, that literally means one of the biggest groups, biggest awards, it won and didn't even get Oscar nominated. It's weird, right? It's really weird. It's so weird. Okay, so um, the other one is is foreign language film, which um, I knew about a fantastic woman because I had sort of seen some of the uh, some of the hype about about what it's about, and and I always loved that one shot where she like floats up to the camera that I'd seen here and there, and makes me want to watch that movie. It's but, like the money yeah, shot, yeah. Yeah, I mean, of course it has to be. I mean, foreign language film, though, obviously is the category of all of them, even including shorts. I think most nobody ever sees, and and that's understandable, but I, I and I but I still love that it exists because very rarely does foreign language film transcend into best film. Um, it has every once in a while, but like these are movies that you probably won't ever even get to see. You probably won't get to watch these movies, and it just really it just shows and reminds us that there's a whole world of filmmakers out there telling stories that you're never gonna see that are important and should be recognized. That goes for the whole world. I mean, how many, like half the world is international films that know, I mean, cause that's my life. I go to film festivals all over the yeah. world and see these films, but um, I know the challenge. I know the struggle of like convincing anyone to see anything. I mean, the square probably squeaked in because it, uh, because Force Majeure was, uh, Ruben's previous film was such a big hit that I thought people would have given the square more of a chance and more of an opportunity. And Fantastic Woman, I think, too, is also, um, because of the trans woman leading role nature of it, is standing out more. And I and I don't want to get in trouble, but I think that's why it won. 
whereas the other four are phenomenal films. The Insult is okay, but the other ones like Loveless, On Body and Soul, and The Square are also, you know, really phenomenal films that technically wise could have won easily for their actual quality and for their filmmaking and for what they do. I mean, on body and soul, I saw a couple of weeks ago and I just loved it. Like this beautiful love story, completely different than what you're thinking. And the square, like as upsetting and subversive as it is, it's still brilliant. And I, I mean, I, I, as always with this category, I just like hope people see them. Yeah. I, I see what you're saying. Like since the theme of the Oscars was like in inclusivity and you know, it seems like there was an effort made to really vote in that direction in a lot of instances. Certainly yeah. that, you know. Because I, I don't want to be so harsh on it, but I, I thought Fantastic Woman was good, but not great. And I think The Square is brilliant. I think On Body and Soul is brilliant. So that's that's the weird thing about this category. Is it's like, okay. And the distributors, per what you were saying, Sasha, the distributors now, specifically with this category, they always put them out February, March because they yeah. know the only way you can get people to to consider this is with the Oscar buzz. Um, and I think Fantastic Woman opens in a couple of weeks in the U.S. The Square opened last year. Actually, yeah, it's like they're, they're available. And On Body and Soul, for those who are listening, please watch it because it's on Netflix and you can watch it right now oh, easily. I'll watch it. I'll definitely watch it. Um, it's really hard to get people to go to the movies at all for any reason. Like most of my adult friends, they'll see one, they'll pay to see one movie in a year. You know, teenagers will go a lot, but but the adults hardly go because of on demand because of Netflix. It's so much easier just to stay home, you know, but it's great that Netflix has this opportunity or any of these streaming channels that you can watch. If you want to sit down and watch movies, you've got you know, a lot of different options. There are a few categories that may not really elicit like deep conversation. So maybe we can just sort of pick and choose the things that stood out to us about them. You know, the, the really technicals like costume design, production design, makeup, hair. I, I do feel like, like I sort of kicked that off where I, I, I makeup and hair f sort of felt like an obvious one. Wonder was, was, you know, I'm glad that got nominated. And Victoria and Abdul feels like, I don't know, they always put some time piece in there. But All the Money in the World is such a tragic story to me because i mean it's fairly obvious that they would have been nominated if not possibly even winning for doing the makeup on kevin spacey and then of course spacey screwed everything up and got booted from the film and they cast a guy who didn't need makeup to look old <laughs> and uh <laughs> I, I don't know that it would have won but to think about how much work went into that film for makeup for Kevin Spacey and to know that that's the kind of makeup that gets an Oscar nomination, I feel so bad for the, the makeup artists behind that who are getting no recognition for their work, let alone um, film credit for it. Yeah, but imagine, imagine, imagine all the horror makeup people who never get any recognition. <laughs> that's, a great, that's a great point. I mean... Valerian is an, is another one. I, I forget visual effects, which it obviously should have been nominated for. That movie is full of amazing hair and makeup. Even Star Wars. I don't know. It's a it's a category that every year is like, oh yeah, that should have three. But then I'm I'm always thinking, well, there's five at least five movies that could be honored in this category. They still everybody still sort of you know worships the 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 best picture kind of prestige factor like. I thought that um, Blade Runner's visual effects were incredible, but how do you beat Rise of the Planet of the or War of the Planet of the Apes for visual effects? That movie didn't win for any of its visual effects, and they were incredible. I felt like with Andy Serkis involved, I figured that it was the last movie of a trilogy, a really successful, profitable trilogy. 
I thought when I saw it, I was blown away and I don't even know about visual effects, but I figured that there's no way they're not going to award this, you know? Um, I think, I think you can blame Roger Deakins for it. I honestly, it's sort of like a thinly veiled, uh, um, difference in that movie between cinematography and visual effects. It's, it's blended so well. And, and I wouldn't, put it past Roger, Roger Deakins' vision for how the movie should look to have a huge impact on what made people think it was the best visual effects movie. Yes, I think that's really true. Yeah, I think that's so right. Because a lot of times the, a lot of times you get a unification between visual effects, cinematography, and production design. Like those three can go in. While Blade Runner didn't win um, production design, Shape of Water did. You could see Blade Runner winning there. And you could see how those three awards could go together, you know, really well. So, yeah, a lot of people predicted um, Blade Runner to steal the visual effects, but I have to admit to being disappointed about that win. Me too. Me too. And, and, of course, um, some of the other, like, production design, you know, after having watched the behind-the-scenes of Dunkirk, I actually was incredibly impressed by what they did, but it is so minimalist, like it had no shot. You know, it sort of felt like a Blade Runner opportunity there, given the production design's connection to cinematography was so so obvious again but shape of water is like that the 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 feel of that movie it is such a production design like it just felt it, it was between that and blade runner i felt and and i'm not really disappointed either way but i do think blade runner's production design was more interesting but shape of waters was more detailed if that makes sense yeah it was definitely out of guillermo del toro's imagination i think that's what they were rewarding they just loved that you know his drawings and his concepts and everything so it's like you were saying about knowing the person that created it i think that helped a lot i don't think that if it was anybody else other than guillermo del toro that made that movie i don't think it would have won that award and and of course phantom thread wins costume design because obviously uh (laughs) yeah i mean shit that movie the costume that is as much of an oscar winning movie for costume design as you'll ever see yeah, for sure. I agree. That was beautiful. And also, it you know, I've seen a lot of movies that deserve to win that didn't win because people didn't like the movie. But since Phantom Thread had a Best Director nomination, it showed that they really loved it. So it, it seemed like it couldn't lose in that way. Although for a while there, I did think Shape of Water might also take that award, too. And, and then um, you've got film editing, which um, I think, I mean, when I saw Dunkirk, I, it was seemed like it was Lee Smith's to lose. But at the same time, I've seen Lee Smith do some amazing things editorially and not get Academy respect. So I wasn't sure if there was some kind of moratorium on him, but like, you know, I, Tanya does deserve some attention because the editing of that movie is really phenomenal. But then you've got, I mean like this category again, as an editor myself, all of these movies were really stunning displays of editing shape of water, much more subtle and three billboards as well. But baby driver and Dunkirk and I, Tanya, I mean, you put the editing front and center on a movie. That's fun. That's awesome. I thought I was so hoping baby driver. would win. I mean, it's like, I, I knew yeah. why Dunkirk won that. I mean, they wanted to give Dunkirk as many awards as they possibly could because they loved the movie. They just weren't going to give it best picture and they knew it deserved something major, but baby driver's editing. Come on. That's like, that's just, that's, that's a kind of movie that, shows people what editing is you know like if you sat somebody down you say okay this is about editing watch what they do they're doing real-time editing here well that's that's where that's where it's interesting because you know baby driver and dunkirk do the same thing the editing is on the page you know it's not necessarily in the edit booth 
you know, they, it's written to be edited the way it is. And that's, that's you know, um, for Baby Driver, that's just what Edgar Wright does. All his movies are edited in this phenomenal way with energy that you've never seen before. And Dunkirk, again, written on the page, like Memento, where Christopher Nolan's style of, of throwing you off the beats of the story and then connecting them at the end, it, it, it's just more obvious with Dunkirk. And, and with Baby Driver, I, it just felt like there was more art to the edit, so I would I would have loved to see Baby Driver win. I would have been so, I would have been happy, even though I wanted to see Lee Smith get his well deserved Oscar. Yeah, I'm so I'm so glad Baby Driver even had these three nominations in, in sound too. Like, I mean, I saw this movie in the summer and I'm like, great, great movie, fun movie, but I'm like, there's no way in hell it's gonna get any Oscar attention despite this great technical prowess. But then like three, it's it's three, right? There's not like a fourth nomination, but just these nominations, like, I love it. Edgar, live it up, like, have the time of your life. Because if this gives Edgar more chance to do this kind of fun, like, all-out, you know, original, you know, energetic action thing that gets nominations, then go for it. Like, hell yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I'm sorry, guys. I've actually run out of time. i got to get going. But um, but it was really great talking to you and, and hearing your insights. And, and this has been a really um, interesting conversation. I've learned a lot. Um just talking to you about it, you know. So just in, in closing, I mean, um, I, I really, I'm really grateful that there are people out there like you guys who are interested in the shorts and the documentaries and the foreign films that aren't just, you know, into the, the horse race aspect of it, because that's really the least interesting, I found out, after attending my fourth or fifth Oscars last night. But, um, but overall, I feel like I feel very optimistic about the future of film as it relates to the Oscars and, and Netflix and um, other streaming services that are bringing more people to the idea of being able to see films. And like you say, the Oscars informing people of these movies that you have to watch, you know, and people having the opportunity to do that, whether on iTunes or anywhere else. So. Um, I, I think that we should all feel really optimistic that we, we're looking at right now, maybe the beginning of a new era um, of Oscar movies where maybe it'll be like the seventies where all the movies that come in are really, really good since they were all so good this year. Um, but sorry, I can't be there for the rest of the conversation, but, um, it's really nice talking to you guys. Thanks, Sasha. We loved having you on. Absolutely. Talk to you later. You can find more of Sasha's work online on her website, awardsdaily.com. And you can also follow Sasha on Twitter at awardsdaily. Um, thanks again, Sasha, for coming on. We really love you, and she's one of the best and such a good heart and also a true-on film nerd. Um, so anyway, it's just Mike and I now. Um, Sasha had to drop out, but we just want to finish up with a couple more categories to, to finish our Oscar recap for this year. So um, to continue on, Mr. Eisenberg, let's... Uh, you wanted to talk about sound because I think I mean we were we were in the middle of talking about Dunkirk anyway with regards to uh, editing and I mean I will say upfront I'm not a I, we we talked about this on our best of the year list but we both love Dunkirk so we're already in that camp but I was happy it won both of the sound and, and you know the thing that I always think about with sound is when you were talking about Dunkirk and on our podcast and you went on this long thing about how the um, the airplanes flying in was this terrifying sound. And there's all these pieces to it that I'm like, yeah, that's based on your visceral reaction to purely the sound of Dunkirk. It, it has that chance to win. And I'm glad it did because of those reasons. And, you know, I think the discussion people always get into is World War II films or war films in general usually have an advantage for that reason. Well, like 
I, I think it's important to, you know, I feel like a lot of people who listen might already know the difference between sound mixing and sound editing, but this is the, the question, this is the question I get the most after the Oscars or during the Oscars. Every time sound mixing, sound editing awards come out, it's what's the difference again? And there are some great articles that will elaborate on this, but just to clarify, sound mixing is the actual mixing of all the sounds that are developed within a film. Yeah, like the volume of each one. Yeah, I mean, and and not just volume. I think that that does it a, somewhat of a disc, of a discredit, but it is it is the best general way of looking at it. There are dozens and dozens of layers of sounds that all have to be mixed together in a way that flows and allows you to hear what you need to hear and not hear what you don't need to hear, which is why actually I was surprised that uh, Dunkirk won. I'll get to that in a sec, but sound editing is the sort of creation of the environment. It's the, it's Foley, you know, it's, it's, um, it's recorded audio on set. It's, it's all the sounds you hear. And, um, you know, for that reason, it felt fairly obvious that Dunkirk should win because Dunkirk is, if anything, a collection of sounds um, put together in a way that elicits an, an emotional response. It does it so well, just like you said, you know, the planes coming in. That was what you said, Mike. Well, yeah, you said that I said that the sounds coming in was great. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, from an editing perspective, I actually thought Baby Driver would win. Um, I picked Dunkirk, you know, like I just sort of, I wanted Dunkirk to win as many awards as I could. Uh, but Baby Driver is, in essence, a, a perfect example of sound editing. I'm sorry. I'm, I, I'm sorry. I did it backwards. Mixing. Well, there you go. <laughs> I was going to say, that's a perfect example of the difference right there. Yeah. Um, because, uh, first of all, Christopher Nolan has uh, this issue with um, muffling people's voices. He seems to like to do it to Tom Hardy. Uh, um, I, I think it accurately represented what it sounded like to be in a cockpit or to listen to a guy talking while he's in a cockpit. But when I think about Baby Driver and the way that all the sounds are collected and used to support the movie that's so and with music and I, I just think it was such a perfect flow and blending of sound and picture um that i was surprised but you know uh, I, I mean i get it dunkirk is at its best a technical marvel and uh, and i think that's why you saw it pick up a few technical awards it, it hurts the conversation about the difference between sound mixing and sound editing when the same movie wins both and it's and it makes people ask the question when it's just back to back. It kind of deserved to win. I just felt like it would have been a nice surprise for Baby Driver to pick up one of these awards, particularly. I like when they both win because it means that the sound all work together in harmony. Whereas if like it's two different films, I'm like, well, like sure the editing on this was good. That why did they why did they fall apart on mixing, you know, or the, vice versa? Like why was the mixing so great but the editing wasn't? And it's. I, I know that it's the differences thing, but to me, this just means like, oh, okay, well, all of the sound in Dunkirk was uh, at the same meticulous level of excellence, which is um, why it won. And it is a tough category because not only Baby Driver, which, uh, you know, these three sound editing, sound mixing, and film editing, this sort of key Baby Driver potentials. And again, as we already talked about, like, I'm happy that Baby Driver's even in there. I think a lot of the non-true, uh, full-on film nerd people were hoping Baby Driver would get a win in these categories for the reasons you said, too, because it's such a kinetic, ed like, the editing is set to it and everything. 
Um, but but even the even the, th- the three other nominees too, Blade Runner, Star Wars. I mean, Star Wars always gets sound editing for for Skywalker sound being so great. But like, it, it's it's always a tough. Ca- this to me always every year the category is like, the sound is always top notch in all five films, and I can't I can't even choose. I'm just happy as long as it's not like some period piece with junky sound that I, I think, didn't like. I think there's some fatigue <laughs> with Star Wars. Um, where I don't know if it can win again, but it has to get nominated. It should win every time, though. I mean, it, <laughs> I, I, I think Dunkirk and Baby Driver deserved it more than Star Wars, but it's like you watch Star Wars and you think almost every single sound in this movie is created. Like, this isn't car doors shutting and guns blazing um, or airplanes flying. These are sounds that are created from other real sounds, obviously, but it, to to create something that is not earthly and that is so cool shows what sound can be and is a really fun thing but i I will say if there's one movie that wasn't on here that you wouldn't think should get nominated that probably deserved it was phantom thread phantom thread for sound editing because i mean you don't see many period pieces where sound is as much of an integral part of the story if if only for the the moment that she butters her bread or the mushrooms sizzling yeah those sounds are those are great little moments of sound, uh, but whatever. I, I mean, it is what it is. This, like you said, all great nominees and all deserving, frankly. But that kind of covers a lot of the categories that are kind of deserve a little bit of an extra discussion anyway. Well, the only other one I want to talk about is um, just the score real quickly, because um, I'm picking right up of what you just said. Phantom Thread should have won. <laughs> like the score, Johnny Greenwood's Phantom Thread score is a score that is so amazing. I haven't heard something like this in years, like that level of incredible. And of course, John Williams gets nominated every year for something. And as we already talked about, he basically won for the short. But, um, and of course, Hans Zimmer usually gets nominated. And I love the Dunkirk score. It works so well with the film. But Phantom Threads, especially because Greenwood's scores are so more usually like creative and um not that phantom thread isn't creative but like unique and funky and weird whereas the phantom thread score is just this like beautiful beautiful score that just the moment the first time i started watching that film i could not believe what i was hearing it was that incredible it's my favorite score of the year in terms of the one i listen to enjoy the most dunkirk is a master class in using the science of music to to the advantage of the of the film i i I think there is something to be said about hans zimmer's last oscar win only oscar win being the lion king i don't think dunkirk was going to be the next oscar for him like he he's going to have to make something i i still think interstellar um was one of his most um, one of his best scores since lion king but it was up against stiff competition again so like I mean, Phantom Thread is just an amazing score on all beats. Uh, I, I just maybe it was too simplistic again for the Oscars, and Star, you know, Star Wars. The Star Wars, it was great, but it, it was a little derivative. And Three Billboards is a nice score. I like that. I do see Shape of Water um, with this win. Like I, it, it's it's weird. It, it's weird though because in the context of the movie, it like yeah, takes you to a place great. where the movie is not. If you listen to the score only. You would think it's a movie about, you know, 1950s Paris. So I don't really know why Desplat went there with his score, but it's nonetheless 
beautiful. That's what that's what Gamma wanted, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, there are other like Molly's game was a great score. I mean, I, Daniel Pemberton, you know, there are other scores this year that were great. But I see this, I look at this category, and I'm like, damn, all these scores are awesome, and and deserving. So, uh, and that's the thing. Like, like I love the plot. Um, I actually interviewed him for. I think it was uh, uh, the Tree of Life, like whenever that came out. So I've had a long history of him, and he's—I just looked it up. He's this is his ninth nomination, his second win. You know, he's gonna win. He's gonna be nominated next year for, if not one, two more films, as he was in 2015. So he's—he's he's the kind of guy who, like John Williams, is just consistently always getting that, and like Hans Zimmer too. And I, it's not to say that I don't think other composers deserve it because they all do. And of course, Duplat is a genius, and Hans Zimmer is a genius, and Williams is the legend, and you know all of these. But I think Greenwood, I think this would should have been his, and Duplat could have got one next year. I, I uh, jumping ahead to next year's Oscars, um, Duplat's score for Isle of Dogs is incredible. It's this like Japanese drummer score, and I was I heard it. I was like, how is this Duplat? This like French guy. <laughs> But um, it's incredible. Oh, he, he is a master of everything. He yeah, can do anything yeah, exactly. he wants. This and VFX, I think, were my biggest upsets. And I'm not. The funny thing is, I'm not unhappy with the other winner. It's just I was much more partial to the like Phantom Thread or um, War for the Planet of the Apes, or you know, and the documentary is the only. Those are the three categories that I was most upset about. Everything else, I'm pretty much like, okay, that's fine. Can we oh, just cool. not talk about original song? Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> That category, I just, without it, they wouldn't have performances at the Oscars, probably. I just, I don't like it. Yeah, me either. And it's um, weird because I love the Call Me By Your Name song, but even that performance was like, ugh. Yeah, that was a strange performance. It's almost like he had lost his voice the night before or something. Yeah. Whatever. Um, sorry if anyone wanted to listen to us talk at length about best original song. Uh, I hope everyone who was listening was like, oh, great job. We didn't want to hear about it. <laughs> um, okay, so, so the so big guys. So the big guys. Yeah. We got, uh, um, oh, cinematography. Duh. How could we not? Well, I feel like, well, I feel like we kind of covered this, and there's only so much to say, but I feel like we covered this with the VFX discussion, which is basically that, I mean, thank God Deacons won. And I was going to tweet and right before the Oscars and say, would it be okay if Rachel Morrison, the first female ever to be nominated in this category, would have won over Deacons? Either one would have been fine. And you love Mudbound Cinematography. That was another one on the Top 10 podcast you raved about. Um, but, I no, mean, it was like... Here, a, here's what I would say to that. What? I think it, I, I would... Forget Deacons. Forget that right now. I don't think Mudbound should have won as much as I thought it was absolutely beautiful. And I certainly think that it would have done a disservice to Rachel Morrison because after having seen her work in Black Panther, she's going to win a Best Cinematography someday. And there is something to be said, although going back to my earlier points, I don't think this is how the votes come together. There's something to be said about somebody about a first-time ever nominee winning a category over what is equal competition if not you know better um for mudbound to beat blade runner and roger deakins would have felt like a political win wouldn't have felt mm -hmm. as authentic as i think it yeah. would be if, if 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 it wasn't there i mean deakins earned the shit out of that award 
you know, there are, he, he would have earned it with Skyfall, too. I mean, it's not to say that any of his nominations weren't probably the best cinematography that year. Yeah, exactly. But, but you know, a lot of times you see guys um, or you see people who were nominated multiple times and they get the honorary win, right? Um, and it's disappointing when you see that, although it, it makes sense because their careers are amazing. This cinematography was fucking mind-blowing. He took cinematography and he took it to a level in which it also is production design, which it's also visual effects, which is more than just putting a camera and blocking something nicely. That's why it won. And, and I'm so happy that he won for a movie like that. I, I tweeted a few days ago about Darkest Hour because once I finally got to watch it at home, I got to really um, take some screen grabs and appreciate what was blowing my mind in theaters, which is the use of negative space. Like, I love the look of Darkest Hour. I absolutely love it. You just don't see mainstream movies, although I don't know if you'd call it mainstream. You don't see them look like that. So I'm really happy I got nominated. And Dunkirk was like almost like interstellar light. You know, so it is still a, a magnificent feat of cinematography, but it was it was more of a technical cinematography success story of putting cameras where they'd never been put before and using IMAX cameras um, for almost the entire movie. Some of the framing is some of the like shots in that movie are amazing, but it's not just wall to wall wallpaper shots. That's where like Mudbound is the closest thing to Blade Runner in terms of almost every shot in that movie being worthy of framing and putting on a wall. So screenplay is next. Should we should we jump on those? And adapted is always a fun category too because things get in there that I didn't think like Logan. Logan is basically an original screenplay, but because it's based on X-Men comics, it has to be considered an adapted screenplay. Absolutely. There's always there's always a great addition like like that, like you said. And Molly's game too, I mean, probably as much an original script as it gets when you talk about Aaron Sorkin writing it. You know, it's it's nice to see Call Me By Your Name deserved to win this because it's such a beautifully written story. I, I, it's nice to see it win an award somewhere along the line because it, it, it deserved to be on the list. Yeah, for sure. That's what, that's what I wrote in my, my thoughts is I'm like, thank goodness Call Me By Your Name got something. Because as much as I knew it wouldn't get anything else, I'm like, I'm just happy for it. And James Ivory and like, great, fantastic. <laughs> it got it. It got something. And then, of course, Jordan Peele winning, it, it was such a great moment last night. I think maybe my favorite moment of, of the night, if only because of what he said about the fact that he gave up on that script 20 times and, and just always felt a pull to finish it. I think that's one of the most important lessons for people who want to make movies, to see him having con continued to believe in his story uh, and then win a fucking Oscar for it. Like, that's awesome. Especially coming from where he comes from, which is a comedic television background. And, of course, there's, as we talked about at the beginning of the show, of course, there's sort of the, the long year it has played and build up the momentum and become a cultural thing and all of this that has played into it. But, I mean, to him, he's like, he wrote a, a satirical-ish um, horror film about racism in America and it won a freaking Oscar, you know? Like, how amazing is that? And I think he's still just blown away by that fact. And, and you know, I mean, to make the, the very um, nice uh, continuation of this is that basically I just hope this gives him the, the freedom and ability to do whatever he wants from now on. And just sort of like, hey, it's great you won an Oscar. Sure, your get out is great, but please 
give this let this win give him the chance to just have that freedom to just come up with so many ideas and make some awesome original films and just go for it it's so awesome to see get out win and if only for the horror genre it just shows that it you know i don't think it was treated like a horror movie um from the way it was written to the way it was received but it, it is a horror movie so it's awesome to see it win something all right so actors this is the this is the part where everything was predictable though, right? I mean, yeah, and I. That's why there's almost so much to say. Like it's one of those. It, it's the everyone in the Oscar world does the, will win, could win, should win, and that's really how I felt on this. There's like you know Gary Oldman will win, Daniel Day Lewis could win, or Timothy Chalamet could win, but then Timothy Chalamet is also my should win. You know, like there's that, and it and I don't even care that. Chalamet didn't win. Like I, I, that's fine. Like he, he's gonna win 15 years from now, or he's gonna be further nominated. Like, who cares? And it would have been bad and, for him if he won. Actually, we need him to stay. Yeah, hungry. that's what a lot of people said. That's what a lot of people said. But it's so, and I felt that way pretty much about all four of the categories. It's like some people are really, some of the film Twitter people and film critics are really, really obsessed with these categories. Like truly you know, upset to a deeply personal level that Laurie Metcalf from Lady Bird didn't win. And I'm like, you know what? She's great. Lady Bird's fine. But like, why are you so upset that Alice and Janney won? Like Alice and Janney's also great in I, Tanya. Why is that the huge disaster? All five, every year, the five best supporting actresses are amazing. It's one of my favorite categories, but it's also that any of them could win, and I'm not upset about any of them losing or winning. It's because they're always amazing performances. So it's like that to me is my feeling on this whole these these categories. Is I'm not I'm happy about great performances. I'm probably most weirded out by Denzel's nomination, but it's also Denzel, so sure. But like the rest of everyone else, it's just like sure. And my other one that I w- would have preferred is Sally Hawkins. I thought this was Sally Hawkins' year. She's um, phenomenal in a lot of her films. And, you know, similar to Gary Oldman, I thought, okay, she's really great in this movie. Let's also give it for this and her other ones. But Frances McDormand also, like, gave a, you know, incredible performance, too. So so it's just one of those. And the only other one I'll say is Meryl Streep. I did not want to win because she's been there enough. (laughs) You know, there's sort of like it's her seat. Right. If she acts in a year, she gets a nomination. So there's only four. Yeah, but I don't like that. I really don't like that. It, it, show some parody. You know, realize when a Meryl Streep performance is an Oscar nomination and when it's not. That being said, this was. I think this was a character that needed to be represented in this category. And on screen did was the most interesting thing that happened in that movie. I, I only enjoyed the movie when she was on screen. I thought Tom Hanks was a complete waste. And so I'm happy he didn't get nominated because it could have been the same deal for him. So I, I do think she deserved it this year, but I do think that there is a problem where, like, if she acts, she gets nominated thing. Um, but that's okay. I mean, fine. It's fine. It's not a big deal. I do think on for from my perspective on all these categories, like, they, they did a good job. I would have I would have liked to have seen Leslie Manville win supporting actress for Phantom Thread because I think she, I think she stole that movie as much as Alice and Janney stole I Tanya. I should just shut the hell up because it was an amazing performance and she deserved the award. I just liked Leslie Mansville in in Phantom Thread and um, I like and Vic, I wrote 
Oh, I like Vicky Cripps more. Uh, I don't know why. I Maybe it was just because Leslie Manville's character was so cold and, dare I say, bitchy. But, like, and I know that was her performance, of course. But also, like, I loved Vicky Cripps uh, as Alma. But, um, yeah. I, I just don't think there's... I don't get the hate for Alice and Janney. Like, even people who don't like the film, okay, that's fine. But that doesn't mean it's not a good performance. Like, it just doesn't... And I'm sure there's someone right now, like, groveling while their headphones are on, listening to me say this, like, oh, it was so bad. But it's it's not. It's like, and I understand your point, which is that the, the range of Mary Dage Blige's uh, performance and, and uh, even Laurie Metcalf's sort of, like, um, depth to her character show that, too. But also, I feel like Alice Janney has that, too. Um and the only other – this reminded me, the only other one in the supporting categories that I was hoping would win was Willem Dafoe. I thought this was or is, regardless of winning or not, Willem Dafoe's one of his best performances of his career. And um, not in a showy way but in a really deeply human, humbling way. His his character in that film makes the, that film work, The Florida Project. Um, and this is a film that few people even want to see and it's a hard one to talk about because – there's a wide range of opinions on it, but I, I think he adds such a warmth to it that it makes it work, and it is one of his finest performances ever. Um, I mean, so that's that's what it's it's all of these are tough because it's like I had my one I w- wished should have won, and then I'm also fine with the people who did win. Sam Rockwell, like while he's not, it's not my favorite performance of his ever. I love so much of his other work sure you know like it's okay and yeah it's the same with mcdormand it's like yeah okay I, uh... you know the other performances that that i would have been perfectly happy seeing win were you know, margot robbie i thought was stunning in that movie and and there were there were scenes that felt like she was winning the oscar during the scene but uh, again <laughs> like she will she will have more opportunities she's an incredible actress and she picks great roles I mean, she's and she's so young too. And and at the same time, it's like anytime Frances McDormand can win and give a speech, I'm all for it. Uh, I don't even care. She's just such an entertaining person, and that performance was worthy of winning. And then, of course, like Gary Oldman's performance was such an Oscar-winning performance too. And you know, I I get it. I, I would have liked to have seen Daniel Day Lewis win, but I don't think that performance felt like a victory performance. It's just like, and I don't, and I don't believe that this is his last movie. Like this, this, you know, somebody comes up with a great script, he's gonna come out of retirement, quote unquote. Um, but Timothy Chalamet, again, like also a performer who's probably gonna have a, a lot of opportunities ahead. And I do think that that, when it comes to acting performances and how the votes are tallied up, I do think that the um, the Academy voters do think through this they think about the careers as a whole and whether or not these actors will have another opportunity down the road that is that plays a huge role in it and you know like gary oldman has had many oscar worthy performances in his career and may have a few more ahead of him but this felt like that sort of uh capstone for an amazing career you know i'm fine with all these wins i'm like I, i feel like all of these actors deserve an oscar so the fact that none of them felt like sort of just giving another Oscar to another person again, it, it made me feel nice about the, the wins. 
Yeah, and I, I don't, as I already mentioned at the beginning of this category, I don't take this so personally in a way that so many other film critics seem to be. I, I think it's just because film criticism and certain film writers, let's just say, are more drawn towards the celebrity, celebritism and performance world than they are all the technical stuff. And they feel a little bit more connected to it, and so it is more personal to them. And it's not to say that we can't both appreciate performances, but... Um, it just doesn't affect me in that way that some of these people I see on Twitter, I'm like, just give it a break. Like you're so obsessed with, with, uh, you know, Gary Oldman winning or something. And it's just like, like the Allison Vanny hate just really bothers me. Like I it just, it, it's just too much. Like, it, you know, for someone you don't even know and you're not even friends with, you're not even related to, and it's just the performance and, you know, and I bet the actors themselves don't even take it that personally either. <laughs> like Alison Janney, I don't think she's that uh, like caring either way, you know. So it's just like, eh. and and uh, we kind of talked about the director category a little bit here and there. I mean, it's cool to see Jordan Peele and Greta Gerwig get nominations because honestly, with nominations, acting, directing, and picture nominations can be um, extremely valuable. Like you don't have to win, and. Paul Thomas Anderson getting in there for Phantom Thread made me super happy because I, I felt like he deserved it. And Christopher Nolan was such an obvious pick. Um, and, and and I know that he'll win an Oscar someday. But, like, you know, Guillermo del Toro m made a movie that felt directed. It felt like a, a real vision. And and he deserved this award. And if, if, if again, the, the Academy looked back at his career of work I mean, it, it, it's, it, it is such an astonishing career of auteurism that I think, um, like, who could possibly not be happy with Guillermo del Toro winning? Yeah, of course. I, I will admit that I did not see this coming last year. Like, I, the moment I saw Shape of Water, I loved it. I gave it a great review. But I did not expect him to even be nominated. I don't, I don't know why. It just didn't come to my mind. And I think it all formulated throughout the awards season which is also where Greta Gerwig and Jordan Peele came because the the uh, Hollywood industry very much put them on the pedestal as the two, you know, you got to nominate them and they're worthy of this kind of people. And so they took those two spots and the rest of them, the only one that I knew and I had a feeling is that from Dunkirk, from when Dunkirk came out in the summer, people thought, okay, this is Nolan's chance. I, I mean, the original discussion was that Nolan's going to win and I was like, we have to see what else is going to play this year. But I'm happy he made it through. Um, and I would have liked to see uh, Luca, I don't know how to say his last name correctly, Guadagnino, <laughs> the Call Me By Your Name director, uh, Guadagnino. Uh, he he would have been a great additional nominee. I know he wouldn't have won. And, I, and to that point, I'm glad Martin McDonough did not get nominated because I felt like the Academy properly judged that film in a way where it's a great script, it's got great performances, but it's not the best direction. And I'm glad he didn't get that nomination like he did at the globes so i'm, I'm i mean in general it's a, it's it's a category that works for me and i i don't know i can't say if any of the five would have won i would have been fine with it i'm i'm happy with guillermo and i it just is weird because i didn't think about it last year at all for him and it, it and then it all just played out over the season he just kept winning left and right he won the dga he won this and that he won you know so i was like okay he's gonna win it all that's 
fantastic. He's Guillermo. And similarly, he already has this ability, but similarly to Jordan Peele, I'm like, I now want him to be given that freedom to just keep making whatever he wants. And I mean, that was the story of The Shape of Water anyway. He he gave that great speech about how he's like, thank you, Fox Searchlight, for letting me pitch this crazy, you know, fish whatever movie and and let me make it. Um, he didn't pitch it that way. He pitched it as like a Douglas Sirk uh, with a fish man thing, a romance. And um, so it's that he already has that potential, but this will just allow him to continue to do that. And, and I think that's important for the film world right now is to not just keep making stupid remakes and reboots all the time, but to, to truly make something original and then let it perfect segue win best direct or win best picture too. <laughs> cuz cuz and and you know to to jump right into best picture the the key here that everyone said last night on twitter and I'll repeat is that the shape of water is a weird movie it is and I know I remember we talked about this at the very beginning of the podcast so now we're coming full circle but it's it is a very odd weird not easily made movie the opposite version of this would be The Post or even Lady Bird. Lady Bird's a, a coming-of-age film. We see 10 of those every year. It's a great one, but it is one. And the other versions of challenging films are Dunkirk and Darkest Hour and Call Me By Your Name. But The Shape of Water's just weirdness is what makes me even extra happy that it won the best picture. I mentioned this earlier. I feel like I wish uh, I wish Sasha was here for this, but I, I, I don't know what it is about that moment when it cuts into a musical piece where it's like, I, I look, I know Guillermo del Toro is an honest and authentic filmmaker. Nothing he did was to get an award. I know this. But if that moment wasn't in that movie, I honestly don't think it would have won Best Picture. Is that crazy? Yeah, it is crazy, Mike. Because um, look, I love that, put it this way, I love that moment regardless of its awards. I love that that because that's a that's a Guillermo letting his cinema love play into it because it's also connected to that great moment where um, the the uh, he has a name but I don't know the fish monster where he he kind of breaks out and she finds him in the cinema staring at the screen and you know the fact that she lives above a cinema and that she watches the TV and does the tap dancing like there's all these cinematic cinema love things in it which is part of what I love Guillermo putting into this anyway. It could have been a conventional story. She could have lived above a firehouse. She could have, you know, none of this could have played into it, but he put that in there because it's in his blood. And that scene is that connection to it. In the same way that it is with Chazelle's uh, La La Land scene. It's, it's, he's, Chazelle's a big enough cinema lover that that was him just letting it out. And it's kind of, and kind I don't of reminded me of Amelie a little bit too. There was a lot of that. Um, inspiration I feel like in this movie and that's prob- that's my favorite foreign film of all time so I'm like I'm not going to complain too much I see, and I see your point because it's also like it's like this is why the artist won <laughs> this is this one scene in the shape of water is basically the the entire the artist um or La La Land even even though it didn't win yeah no I know I know what you mean but like I don't think that's the reason why it won. I think there's so much other stuff to it I mean Guillermo won best director it won a couple of other awards it's got it's got it. It's got enough to it beyond that. Um, and of course, this is another one that people seem to be very personally upset by because of the Get Out argument. But I'm not the biggest Get Out fan, and I need to watch it again. I didn't have the best first viewing, and I I want to appreciate it on the level that all the people voting for it did. But I, I to me, it's like it's not the best picture. It's not to say it's not a great film, 
within the Oscar context, most of the other nominees are truly best picture to me. And and Get Out, great film, but not that level. Even Lady Bird to me is is a great film, but a conventional coming of age. And Three Billboards, I'm not the biggest fan of either, which I didn't. I get why critics and, and Academy people love it. Um, my least favorite, though, is The Post. I thought The Post was such a boring, dismal, political, political in a bad way, like in a, in a really obvious way, and had like one of Spielberg's worst in terms of just lackluster filmmaking. And dare I say it's nominated for Best Picture purely because it needs to be shown to people, but not because it actually deserves it based on merit. But... um. Someone's going to throw a at me for that, but also that's just how I feel about it. We knew the whole way when they announced the post that it was going to probably get nominated because of all the people behind it. And it was just such a disappointment. I mean, to make a movie starring Tom Hanks, Meryl Streep about um, something that's very timely and have it directed by Steven Spielberg and scored by John Williams and not be the best movie of the year means it was an utter failure. I mean, I'm just going to say that. It, fa- it was a failure. You can't put that many talented people in a room and not make the best movie of the year, if not like a decade. Uh, so whether or not that's simply because it wasn't, um, whether or not that's because the movie was made because of what Spielberg said, which was tossing his hat in the ring of timely political discourse, um, or whether or not it's simply because the story wasn't as compelling as we all wanted it to be, maybe it's neither of those things. But I agree, like, I, I, I get it being on the list, but if you're going to put a movie like that on the list and you, should still, you, should, and you still have a slot left, why the hell didn't I, Tanya get nominated, which was an incredibly well-done movie? Or The Florida Project, which was, a, 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 again, also politically important. Or The Big Sick, which, which, which I, I, I thought maybe even had a chance to win Best Picture at one point last year. Like, Mudbound. I mean, there are a lot of great movies... There are really important movies uh, that that you could still have left the post in and given them nominations. I don't want to get too caught up in snubbery and stuff like that, but I do feel like if you're going to have 10 slots and you're going to pick nine, well, you better have a damn good reason why that last slot isn't another movie because to bring this conversation full circle, the Academy needs to recognize the fact that they are an awareness campaign headliner. They are Their responsibility is to provide the general public with a list of movies they should see and to give one of those um, one of those nominees a crown to say this is the best one of them all because the nominees it's really it, being a best picture nominee is a crown in and of itself and and I don't think there's any movie of the four or five that we discussed that aren't on this list that had good reason not to be on this list. Yeah, aside from the post, but I don't know. There's only so much I can say, and there's only so much that happens, and it's such an odd thing. I wanted to talk to Sasha about, I mean, this is a whole podcast of its own, but the voting process and the way they use rankings to determine the winner, which uh, a lot of people said was part of the the um, Moonlight win last year, and they thought it was going to um, disrupt something this year. And, I mean... I don't know. It's to me the best picture. I, I get my feelings over when the nominations come out. 
and and basically as long as the nominations are fine i'm 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 anyone winning i'm fine with and if there's only except for the post but if there was something else in there that i was upset about i i get over it at that time and then you know i have two months of dealing with it so and to me and, and you know the other this is also a whole podcast of itself is the, the discussion with the best picture winner over there i, I wanted to talk about this with sasha too but the the idea of there's now a category of winners that people put into this box of they're the worst winners and they're bad. You know, it's like Crash and the artists and a couple of, yeah. And it's becoming a growing thing. And then what frustrates me is the way that we instantly brand them when that happens. Like I saw people last night trying to say the things that annoy me, there's two, there's two parts of the discussion. One of them is the shape of water is not going to be remembered in time, which I'm like, get out of here. You're crazy. It will be because it's the fish movie. Um, and then secondly, and because it's a Guillermo movie. And then secondly is that the, the alternate version of this, which is get out will be remembered in time, which is like, well, and I hate that argument because there's so many things that annoy me about it. But one of them is like, first off, not, there's not only one movie that's going to be remembered. Number one, it's not just get out. That's going to be remembered in 10 years. Number two, that everyone tries to use this. Uh, uh, the best example of this is Avatar. Everyone tries to say, who remembers Avatar? I'm like, do we all remember Avatar? Just because I don't watch it every day doesn't mean we don't not remember it. There are movies we do forget, like The Artist. I don't think anyone has watched The Artist since it won. Okay, fine. That's one we can argue about. But I hate this whole just generalization and, and, and vicious criticism of these Best Picture winners with this, with this qualification of it's not going to be remembered in 10 years. Maybe not by you. It's just I don't know. Everything about it just annoys me, and I never want to but this qualify. Is not, I mean, look, my response to that anytime somebody says anytime somebody says something like that is, this isn't an AFI top 100 list. This isn't. Right. This is nothing but acknowledging the best of the year. It has nothing to do with all timers or or memorabilia memorability. It it is simply. When you look at every movie that came out in the last year, what is the best accomplishment in terms of complete film? That's what Best Picture should be. I mean, if you look at all the nominees anyway, the most complete movie is The Shape of Water. In every facet of movie making, it, it, it hits the nail on the head. It uses every part of movie making to tell its story. And that's why, look, Call Me By Your Name and uh, Lady Bird and Phantom Thread and Darkest Hour are, are all movies that are, um, that are missing an element of the complete filmmaking picture. Although, for what they are trying to do as a film, they are massive accomplishments. Dunkirk is, is on purpose missing a part of the filmmaking process, right? The, the sort of deep emotional connection to a person's personality, you know, whatever. You still have an emotional connection, but we don't need to get into that. And, and The Post is a complete movie in many ways, but is, it fails to, to really hit the nail on the head like The Shape of Water does with certain bits and pieces. Three Billboards, again, another like small movie. Uh, it, it's just not it, – it, it is a performance piece, and it's nothing else in my opinion. And, and it, it's a strong performance piece, but that's what it's about, and that's why it won two performance awards. And I think about The Shape of Water, and I'm very happy that it won because it is – in essence, a movie in all parts of, of, of how a movie is made. And that's what's super cool 
When I look back on time, at, uh, when I look back at past winners, you don't get that feeling every year. Whether or not Shape of Water is more memorable than Titanic is really irrelevant. Yeah, exactly. You know, this is this is funny. This is probably my my uh, a true full circle conclusion is that I was going to mention this at the beginning of the show when we were talking about this is that The Shape of Water was the one film I took my parents to see when I was back home with them in January, because um, I go home in January for the month and to go to Sundance, as everyone knows. And um, my parents always ask me, like, oh, what should we see? What should we see? And, you know, I, it's, like, hard to be like, oh, come see Call Me By Your Name with me because I don't know if they'll like it. And this is what we were talking about earlier. I don't know what to recommend. But for some reason, that was the one film we decided to go see. And what a coincidence that it ended up being the Best Picture winner in terms of, hey, this ended up being the right one to bring them to see and to give them the chance to see because I felt something like that about it. Like, the, you know, I had my own personal emotional experience with it when I watched it, but I also felt like even though it's the fish fucking movie, which I'm going to keep saying because damn it, it is, Mike, it, and, and it isn't, but it also, that you know, that was the hard sell at first, but then I'm also like there's really a lot to it. And I think that all culminates in this is why it's a deserving winner, even though I wouldn't, I didn't predict it in January. But it, it it it's fine with me. I'm I'm happy with it, and I don't know. I think people are going to be more inspired by Guillermo and what he says and what he does than going to see this movie and being like, oh, I want to make a fish fucking movie too. You know, I think it's. I I hope that people come out of the Oscars this year saying what we already talked about in the first half, which is just there's representation in all categories. There's more going on here. Jordan Peele has won. Greta Gerwig did get nominated. Rachel Morrison did get nominated. There's, there's, you know, let's not rely on awards as, as a measure of quality. Let's just continue to celebrate film and love it. And, you know, I don't want to be the upset negative dude who's ranting about the Oscars every year. I, I don't, I don't feel like that. And, and, and one final thought, it's not a fish fucking movie. Okay. It's a humanoid amphibian fucking movie. Fair enough. Okay. Fair enough. Also, I just thought like visually it was ama- it was it was just a cool movie to experience. I mean, like like say what you will about it being weird. It's a beautiful movie. It's beautiful. Yeah. And oh, yeah. and if you and if if a movie makes you uncomfortable, just picture it in its underwear, you know? And but what I mean by that is like it, okay, if it's weird to you that she's fucking a fish, just pretend like it's an ugly man or something. That's the point is that it's just different. Um, it, it's okay to fall in love with things that are different. You know, and that uh, kind of brings us down to what the Oscars is all about and and what it should be all about and not about just awarding the most popular movie of the year, um, which it never has been. So, I'm, I mean, look, I don't know what holds uh, what's going to hold up for next year's Oscars. And I, I'm certainly happy that they acknowledged Black Panther a lot during this one because we don't know if it will be part of next year's Oscars, although I'm sure it will in some way or another. It, it's just it's it's cool to see. Uh, I love the Oscars. I love watching it. And I think it's fun to see speeches and it's fun to see the celebrities all sort of together honoring cinema. We can't go without mentioning these amazing mashups that were filling the night. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I, I mean, love- like, I want all of those on a Blu-ray. I would watch that movie over and over again. So like I love when they honor cinema. That is just that's just a really cool thing to experience. Um, and I know it can be pompous to some people. And if you think it's elitist, you know that's your own problem. But like I love movies, and the Oscars is one time a year where where they truly honor movies. I and I, I am excited to see what comes this year and and how the fall shakes out. 
yeah. Yeah, for sure. I've I've watched the Oscars live every year since I was a kid. I've never missed a year. Even when I was in foreign countries like Jamaica one year when I was a kid, I, I we had to figure out a way to watch it because I always want to watch it live. And, and people always ask me every year, they're like, do you really care about the Oscars? I do. I, I do. I really, there's something about it. Like, like everyone who even wins an award tells a story about that where – They've just watched it their whole life, and there's just the magic to it, and they continue to remind you how great movies are and how much we love them and how beautiful cinema can be. And and I love reveling in that glory of the Oscars. Well, it's the Politics movie, it's, aside. So. It's the movie Super Bowl, and it deserved a supersized podcast, so we gave that. That's for sure. 18 hours later, we've reached the end. Thank you for listening. All right. Um, well, let's we'll pick it up in a few weeks somewhere. Yes, we will continue to talk more soon. Thanks again for listening, guys. We hope you made it all the way to the end. If you did, you receive a free card. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but thanks for listening. And um, yeah. yeah, I guess we didn't win a jet ski for this podcast, did we? <laughs> no. Um, and you can find Sasha. Where can they find Sasha? Sasha. Uh, well, they don't. don't you don't need to find Sasha. Leave her alone. But if you want to read her work. Um, you can find, <laughs> you can read more of Sasha's work on her website, awardsdaily.com or on her Twitter at awardsdaily. You can find me on Twitter at first showing or at firstshowing.net and Mike, we can't find you anyway. Well, actually you can find me at Eisentower 30 on Twitter. And, um, <laughs> and if you're listening to this this week, um, you should check out my documentaries Twitter, um, which is to air is human doc, um, I'm gonna. I'll be retweeting it a bunch this week, but there's gonna be a lot of new news coming out, and our trailer will be released uh, on Monday, and so only those who listen to the podcast will know about that. But um, yeah, so there's a lot of cool stuff coming from my end, and I'm sure I'll talk about it down the road. But you know, check it out. Sounds good. All right. Well, talk next time.